Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I am your host, Alex Danzig. We're excited to announce that we are bringing the Cafe Bitcoin Conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Max Kaiser, Lynn Alden, Thelma Strolight, Corey Clipston, and many others from the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button to make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode, or you can join us live on Twitter Spaces, Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern, every morning and become part of the conversation yourself. Thank you again. We look forward to giving you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. Now, I'm excited about this wallet conversation today. I, lo- I love these privacy-focused wallets that are that have some of these tools built in. So I'm hmm, I'm a little giddy today. Yeah, as a previous Android user, um, I used to use Samurai and loved it. Um, I got a question, a, a pretty obvious question, but I don't know if it's time for that yet. But yeah, use Samurai and loved it. Um, thank you. Uh, yeah, good. So good morning to good guy. Good morning, Samurai. Noodle, it's not time for that yet, man. Calm down. Take a deep breath. So this is the format. We have a format on this show. It's <laughs> so a lot of places, Twitter spaces, you just go in and it's just chaos. It's like whatever. People are talking about whatever. And there's a place for that. I'm wrong with that. But that's not the way we run it. What we like to do is... First, probably 15, 30 minutes of the show, we're actually talking about the news cycle that's happening in Bitcoin news. And then we roll into, if we have featured guests, like today, we've got Samurai Wallet. We've got Good Guy Biker. We'll learn all about Samurai Wallet today. And Good Guy Biker is probably one of the smarter guys I've run into when it comes to security, wallets, um, all that kind of stuff. So... Looking forward to it. It's going to be a great show. You are listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning and welcome. We do this I, Monday through Friday? Yeah. Did somebody sorry, else I, I cut you off, Alex. I'm lagging again. Sorry. Yeah, no worries, man. It's all good. Uh, just a real quick intro. We do this Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Pacific, roll, uh, 10 a.m. Eastern. We roll for about two hours, talk about all things Bitcoin. This is also a podcast it's up on Spotify and Apple. You can throw Swan Bitcoin to follow to be notified of when it drops. What are you going to say, good guy? Oh, so breaking news. Uh, CZ, one of the worst actors in the space as far as I'm concerned, has further hardened his evil genius or evil, evil crypto master approach by suggesting that uh, we shouldn't block any Russians from the fintech system. So not only has CZ had difficulty finding banking worldwide, and he's been systematically kicked out of every single country he's tried to operate a headquarters in and pretended he wasn't even operating headquarters in those countries even while those headquarters were being raided by the Chinese police, by the Tokyo police um, and their employees were tweeting about it in real time still pretending he never had an office there you know, um, uh, you know we, t- we talked about some of these different countries like Milan came out and, and, and you know the Cyprus and these guys they talked about how they would never Give CZ a business license or operating license there. Some of the most, the biggest safe havens for this stuff. So Russia, Russia has just taken on CZ. The Russian banking system is now banking Binance. 
You know, when you have no other resort, I guess you go to the Russians. And um, he's come out in support. And it it really upsets me that that CZ is literally taking the counter play. I get what he's doing. He's trying to play to the civilian aspect. But he's he's just already pushing propaganda for his Russian overlords. It's been like 10 minutes. I cannot believe it. So CZ... Thank you for further hardening my, my confirmations that you are an unethical Russian pot, pot, patsy. You know, what I would like to do, I think that it, what I think is probably best when it comes to stuff like this is if we want to talk about Binance, um, I prefer not to talk about the individuals themselves. I mean, that's just my preference. I'm not telling anybody what to talk about. Good guy, you're going to talk about what you're going to talk about. It's fine. Like, that's just you, and it's okay. I'm not mad. Um, All I'm saying is I think the community is best served if we stick to talking about the ramifications of, like, what's going on with Binance and and how it affects Bitcoin in general. Like, people are going to do – people are going to do what they're going to do. I mean, Putin's going to do what he's going to do. Biden's going to do what he's going to do. Xi Jinping's going to do what he's going to do. Karstens is going to do what he's going to do. Lagarde's going to do what she's going to do. I guess my point is, it's less important what the what those people are doing, I think, instead of focusing in on them. Let's focus in on the effects to Bitcoin and the Bitcoin ecosystem. Good morning, Stefan. How you doing, man? You guys, it's going well here, and uh, yeah, good to see see you guys again and chat again. Stefan Lavera, for those who don't know, is a pretty pretty uh, well known podcaster in the Bitcoin space, and he's also um, a really good example of the digital nomad sort of. Bitcoin nomad lifestyle. The man's always on the move. Sometimes he doesn't even tell us where he is. <laughs> it's pretty cool. <clears throat> I mean, isn't that part of the best practices? Yeah. hundred percent. Hey, there's pros and cons to this life. So, you know, the first rule of nomadic life is don't tell anyone you're living a nomadic life. I didn't get it quite perfect there, but it's something like that. Is it bad that I post all my, my vacation photos a week after I get back in an effort to confuse and ostracate? No, that's a good that's a good idea. I like that. <laughs> Stefan, are they yeah. still wet in the bed back in Australia in terms of COVID? I saw some stuff in New Zealand um, in my feed that looked pretty bad, but I know um, Australia was pretty bad at one point, but I haven't checked since COVID dropped off the whole you know media narrative. Yeah, I don't follow it as closely as I used to now, but I, I mean, as far as I'm aware, they've taken away most of the rules on things. They are still, there are still obviously rules on things like if you want to enter the country, I believe you still have to have double jab. And if you want to leave the country as a citizen, I think now you actually do have to have a jab. So it's a bit, you know, that, that part's not great, but it seems to be opening up in, in Australia. But I think New Zealand is still doing some pretty crazy stuff. So, you know, we're seeing more protests there, which you guys might have all seen on online anyway. Yeah, the from my understanding, the the courts there have ruled that the um, the tyrannical, crazy ass stuff that they're doing is illegal. Actually, 
Yeah, so I think that was one particular mandate that Jacinda Ardern, Prime Minister of New Zealand, had put in. And so it seems like the tide is turning a little bit, like you would have expected the courts to defend people's rights and the various other documents like the constitutions and other, you know, all around the world, right? All the, you would have expected them to stand up a bit sooner. But it seems to me like what happened is the, because of the shutting down of the discussion, it, was, it seemed like the only doctors who were speaking were the ones who were aligned with the regime narrative. And so that's when maybe the judges can just say, oh, look, see, all the experts agree. So I guess I can't adjudicate on the actual health merits of this. So, okay, fine, government, go ahead and do your tyrannical thing. So that's my guess. They're, they're excluding people from the conversation based upon their medical status. I was reading this article where apparently there are people <clears throat> who were arrested and got charged for being involved in protests in New Zealand that when they actually showed up for court, they weren't allowed to address the court because they had been unvaccinated. So they wouldn't let them into the building. So in effect, they missed their court date. And the judges found them in whatever. Usually when you miss a court date, the judges will rule against you immediately. So it's pretty jacked up, man. It's disgusting. I just read that France is saying by March 14th that the mandatory mask and vaccine passports will be lifted in most places, quote unquote. So that's interesting. Are you guys mad at the whole mask thing? Because I was wearing masks for like 10 years before it was cool. And, you know, like, people are gross. The world is gross. Choice, my Walking friend. Inside. That's what it's about. Choice. Yeah, yeah you I know, know I want you all y'all to wear masks. I mean, people look a lot more attractive to me these days, if I'm being... I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of dirt. You know? Humans have been around for tens of thousands of years, if not longer, depending upon who you're listening to. And... The natural immune system is freaking amazing. The fact that humans are still alive is a testament to the fact that our bodies are capable of fighting off all kinds of stuff. And for those people who don't believe that that's true, we would be gone a long fucking time ago if that wasn't true. And the way it works is you get microbes that you ingest, inhale, eat all day, every day, and your body sees those things, develops natural systems to destroy them if it thinks it's some kind of a pathogen. And then your body remembers that. Your body's like, oh, okay, now I know how to make the army that's specifically designed to destroy that particular pathogen. And so in my opinion, microbes are good, man. They were back in the day, little kids used to play in the mud and they'd be eating mud patties and all kinds of stuff. Alex, if you haven't, what you're describing is literally, uh, I, I don't know if you've listened to it or not, but Andre, Andreas Antonopoulos, he's got a podcast, it's on Spotify, um, of some of his previous talks. There's one called Bubble Boy and the Sewer Rat, and it talks all, it's literally almost verbatim what you're saying and how when he was a kid, they literally used to make mud pies, eat them, swim in the rivers, everything else. And it just built up their immunity. And it then starts talking yeah. about, you know, the whole Purell kind of, um, you know, uh, all, all these people that, that constantly sanitize their hands. And I can speak firsthand because I've got um, a mate of mine who's constantly using the hand sanitizer and um, he's always ill, always ill, unfortunately. Uh, and yeah, it, it 
anyone that hasn't heard it, um, Andreas Antonopoulos, Bubble Boy and the Sewer Rat literally talks all about this. Listen, yeah. Alex, I, we, we all haven't been to Japan. We're licking doorknobs is cool. It's totally a trend over there right now on social media, licking doorknobs. Like, it's also very sexualized to a lot of those people. Very interesting. But I don't know, Alex. I'm just, I'm not that committed <laughs> to those microbes. Don't get me started on that whole Japanese sexual. They have some interesting um, ideas over there about all that. Let's not go down that rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> let's get into the news, like the Bitcoin news. <laughs> so, with Swan News. Latest thing is Swan Cannons launched. If you're an expert in Bitcoin, you should probably head on over to Swan Cannon and check it out. Basically, it's curated content. So it's lists of articles, um, podcasts, audio, video, things that are pertinent to specific topics according to a person's expertise. And it's become a really great place for people to go if they want very specific knowledge. Say you want to know about mining, or you want to know about security, or you want to know about custody best practices whatever your interest is it's very focused so um yeah check it out swanbitcoin.com slash canon there's the world has gone completely nuts like the pace of things just in the last three weeks we've had a country Basically, um, I shouldn't say the country the tyrannical leaders within the government of the country some of them anyway like just full on froze the bank account, started seizing the property um, of people peacefully protesting in bounty houses and, and barbecues. No violence. It was the government committing the violence against the peaceful protesters. And they were doing so in accordance with their charter rights, by the way, to peaceably assemble for redress of grievances. In the West, this is written into the constitutions of our countries. You know, we are... It's it's a right that we have to assemble peacefully and basically say to the government, yo, we don't like what you're doing. And here's the interesting thing. In the United States in particular, the Constitution is written in a way to restrain the government. You guys realize it's not a document that says, okay, this is what the government allows you to do. It's a document that says this is what the government's not allowed to fuck with because these are our natural rights. ticks me off a little bit um and then you've got the war in ukraine i mean all this stuff is just rolling so here's kind of the quick timeline on on um the ukraine stuff in the beginning certain russian banks were removed from swift then ukraine requested exchanges start freezing russian crypto accounts then swiss agreed to participate in sanctions <sighs> which led to the saying Bitcoin is Switzerland now. Ukraine has raised over 37 million. I don't know what the most recent is at. Does anybody have an updated number? It's a lot. Ruble has lost over 30% against the dollar since the beginning of the year. London stock exchanges have ceased trading of 27 Russian companies. And over a million people have fled Ukraine from the war. And here's the use case for Bitcoin, guys. Like everything that's happening today, last all of the events of the last three weeks have been nonstop pointing to Bitcoin. Bitcoin now stands alone. On the world stage, Bitcoin stands alone. All the people that fled Ukraine could have carried all their wealth in their heads going across that national border. 
many of them instead are going to learn that their bank accounts have become worthless or inaccessible. They may return to Ukraine someday and find all of their physical property, their homes, their businesses, their land bombed out, completely destroyed. Let's talk about that. Who's got some thoughts here? I find something really interesting um, that I was reading today, at least in London. Um, there's a there's a legal firm called W Legal in London and a sanctions lawyer called Nigel Kushner. And he advises, you know, some of the wealthiest Russians, um, some of the some of the oligarchs, etc. And they're, he's just saying how, um, quote unquote, some might purchase Bitcoin. We've seen that and other cryptocurrencies go up in value over the last few days. So I just think it's really starting to dawn on some of these people that, you know, ha have lots of wealth, but maybe didn't want to get involved with Bitcoin prior to, to what's happening, that this is really, you know, their, their, their lifeboat, really. So I think it's interesting as well, as you were saying, Noodle, um, that there are people now who are looking at Bitcoin where previously they did not. Uh, and all with the conversation around sanctions and who are, who is being sanctioned, who is being denied financial services, and typically that's Russian banks, certain Russian individuals and, you know, sp specified individuals. So what we've seen over the last week or so is a lot more volume on the uh, exchanges around Bitcoin trading as well as USDT trading volume. Um, so I guess the interesting uh, question is how much can the supposed Russian oligarchs still get into Bitcoin, even if they've been sanctioned. Uh, and I mean, if they wanted to, well, then they might have to do that peer to peer. Uh, so it's kind of an interesting one because uh, you, you have to think about it like who's being blocked and who can still access these services. And the other point also is if you wanted to get in, what kind of liquidity is available for you, right? So it might be enough that let's say an everyday person can obviously buy Bitcoin and take that across the border and do whatever, or at least get out and save their money, but maybe a very high net worth person might not have that same ability. You know, Stefan, it's, it's interesting that you're saying that because I was thinking, you'll just have to believe me, <laughs> that I was thinking the same thing the other day. I'm like, you know, some of these folks, unless they already had, you know, Bitcoin already, it's going to, it's seemingly going to be a lot more difficult for them to accumulate now. In other words, it's going to be much harder with all the sanctions and as well with the, with the ruble being, um, you know, has lost so much value, even if they had it and could trade it, they're, they're now at a significant, um, you know, loss. And the other interesting thing that uh, I wanted to add as well is maybe there are times where we can say, yeah, yeah, rah, rah, everyone's just going to go to Bitcoin, but it might be that, not that I want this to be, but it just what I believe is likely is that maybe a lot of Russian entities will use that Chinese alternative, CIPS. I forgot the exact alternative, the name of it. It's a much smaller one. It's only uh, one dominated, denominated, and so I think it's about 1,200 institutions around the world compared to, say, SWIFT's 11,000. But that may be what some Russian banks go towards instead uh, and Russian companies who still want to transact. So, uh, but, but I think the broader aspect of more people understanding why Bitcoin is important, I think that is becoming much, much more difficult for people to question. Oh, 100%, you know, like Putin and Russia did just come out in favor of Bitcoin and using it there. But uh, certainly this last couple of weeks, I've gotten more calls and done more one-on-one -on -one, um, uh, consulting and built more full nodes for people um, and taught more people about sovereignty 
than I have probably in the last year. I'm having people specifically reach out to us for what they, they feel are very large concerns in relation to the security of their own money. Something that most of us in this space have understood for a long time. Others of us in the space have learned after a, a crisis, a financial breakdown, corruption, having to flee our regions. Um, it's amazing to see, you know, it's, it's a good and a bad thing, a double-edged sword. This Ukrainian, the Russian stuff, the, the hodl hodl truck stuff, it's all, it's all teaching people how, how overbearing government can be. And I am so happy to be teaching, you know, half a dozen people on a daily basis specifically about self-sovereignty and how awesome it is. So, you know, it's, um, it's a quite of an advertising plan for Bitcoin. It seems every time someone bans Bitcoin, it gets a little bit stronger. Some other Bitcoin news. So just recently, Bitcoin exchange balances have hit a three-year low. That's pretty interesting. Doesn't mean that Bitcoin can't be moved onto the exchange really quickly, but it's still an interesting thing to me. Bitcoin itself, as far as the U.S. dollar price, has been holding steady at just under 40K, which is <laughs> it's up over 24.09% over the last seven days. Pretty incredible. The resilience of this thing in the face of what's happening globally is surprising to me. I'm surprised that it's as affordable as it, as it is. I guess it's gone up a ton, but um, I think that there's a tidal wave. Um, people, as good guy just said, I, I had an experience last night who was a room of two dozen people. I think the majority of them are going to end up holding Bitcoin within the next week. And so that's a snowball that's snowballing uh, of just pent-up demand, education, and, and purchases incoming. And that's probably happening at all sorts of scales. And, you know, the other thing is with all these prices going up, um, I know in our area, gas has gone up, you know, considerably. It'll probably only get higher. And with pals, you know, meeting yesterday, I mean, I was talking to my kids at the kitchen table, and especially my son. I'm like, you know, many of these prices, maybe fuel is the one that might go back down, but many of these prices here stay. Only way we're going to ever gain back our purchasing power is to either earn more money or obviously invest in, you know, and save our value in Bitcoin. By the way, I misspoke. I meant to say it's holding steady just under 44,000. It's currently at 43. Hey, morning, guys. Um, Alex, appreciate you having me up again, man. I wanted to tell you guys, I've been traveling around doing a lot of stumping lately, and I was down at the LP convention in Alabama uh, this past weekend, and have been out a number of different times, and one of the things that uh, is unavoidable to talk about right now is just Bitcoin and its adoption and what's going on in the world with it, and I'll tell you, after mentioning it even briefly sometimes in conversation or on a stump it is one of those things where i've had organizers come back to me and ask hey can you come back and, and talk about bitcoin uh exclusively to this group they are fascinated we've been inundated with questions so the adoption i think is going to be through the roof here in the uh, the very near future it's it's just people trying to learn Yeah, we're seeing that actually um, at small, for example, in the 
you know, we've got this thing called Swan Advisor Services that is about to launch here soon. And, you know, I get calls pretty regular from RAs, um, or I should say financial advisors, registered investment advisors. And uh, they're all wanting to learn about what Bitcoin is. And um, you can sense almost the panic that they're that they're facing because their customers are asking about it to the degree that it, I think those that, that don't get on the train, they're going to, their businesses are going to implode. I mean, those, those uh, FAs, RIAs that aren't offering Bitcoin two years from now, um, their business, their businesses are going to, are going to just crater. It's the most important thing. The, the biggest vacuum there is right now is education and knowledge. Bitcoiners right now, if you're a Bitcoiner and you feel like you've been, you know, the lone wolf crying in the wilderness, there is a tidal wave of interest coming and you are so well positioned because nobody understands this stuff. Right now, Bitcoiners have the knowledge that the entire world needs and wants. Not everybody's figured that part out yet. Let's just hope they figure it out before something happens to them, not after. A after is fine, too. We'll be here after something horrible happens to you. We'll teach you about Bitcoin. We'll teach you about self-sovereignty. We'll help you move forward. We'll help encourage you. We'll work on that mental health. We'll go for walks together and think about good ideas for cash flow. But, like, I just pray that all of you pay attention to the stuff the guys here on stage are talking about because you want to take that self-sovereignty and take this stuff seriously before something happens to you, right? Not after. Because when they take interest in you, you go from not being interesting at all to being very, very interesting. And just as easily as you were donating a small amount of money to some protest movement or some, some political view, um, just as quickly, you can be considered a dissident or a terrorist um, for exactly that. And so having those best practices and those policies in place ahead of time is always way more important for average individuals because they will come for us eventually. We've seen this time and time again. Yeah, it's it's shocking, actually, like how fast it happened in Canada in particular. Like, like there are people who donated $20 to this trucker convoy where these guys were basically peacefully pro protesting, hanging out in bounty houses, temporary hot tubs, they were barbecuing, just completely unviolent hanging out like we don't like what you guys are doing let's talk about it they wouldn't talk about it what was they, they just went after him and if they there are people that donated twenty dollars who had their bank accounts frozen that and is mind-blowing yeah and add to that alex and i know you know this and probably most of the audience does as well but you know many of those that were arrested were denied bail Jesus, imagine having a business or a family or literally anything important in your life and then being locked up without bail in, uh, in a first world country because you donated to a charity or a protest. Jesus Christ, this is – and you know what? We're only seeing how bad it gets here now in North America. But it's been like this in places like Venezuela. It was like this last year in Turkey. It's been like this all over the world. We're seeing those financial collapses, those government regime changes, that the corruption rear its ugly face. Um, Bitcoin, Bitcoin and its anti-fragility protects us once we learn how to use it. But it can also hurt us, right? If you if you 
run into self-sovereignty and you don't understand what you're doing, if you don't have those best practices or that redundancy in place, it can just as easily screw you as the government seizing all your assets. So um, it is it is both a double-edged sword, but it is a sword that offers us ultimate freedom, much like the plebs, right, from Rome. You know, we must sharpen our swords without using the swords, without coming to violence. We must educate ourselves. We must hold, you know, and they're going to encourage us to, to, to sell. They will offer you a million Bitcoin for your fucking wallet. They will offer you 50% off on your taxes for your Bitcoin. They are going to do anything they can to get that liquidity from you. And just like the plebs, we need to choose nonviolence. We need to hold and continue to learn. And in time, those emperors will come crawling to us and, di- and assign us as the royal guard, just as the plebs did. Um, I'm confident in this. This is history repeating itself all over. We just need to uh, keep getting smarter and stay nonviolent. Speaking of Turkey, 54.4% inflation. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. In three, in so many three months. Who, so many like pre-coiners who like are afraid that Bitcoin's going to drop to zero overnight or something. And it's like, but we have so many examples of these state currencies going bananas like this. And the problem the problem is in places like Turkey, those two brothers, um, they stole billions of dollars from people. They set up a, an exchange and just fled. And I think at one point, like 16 of their family members were in custody. Like everyone that knew these guys got arrested. But uh, it happened in India as well. It happened in China. When we see these regions of conflict, we see people take advantage of those regions as well, which is really unfortunate. But it's something we need to be aware of because it goes on a lot. So there's one quick thing I'm going to add to this. And uh, then we'll do some announcements and dig into uh, custody, self-custody, samurai wallet, etc. I think we built a pretty damn good case as to why these things are important. I'm going to add one last thing here. Apparently, Australia has been removing the ATMs. They've waited until the war- world has got its eyes on this war in Ukraine, and they're quietly... Removing a ATMs, which removes people's access to cash, which a pre, is a precursor to central bank digital currency. Once you're in a central bank digi- digital currency system, if you think the fact that they can call the banks and freeze your bank accounts now, if you think that's bad, just wait till digital cur- or CBDCs roll out. Some qu- uh, quick announcements. You're listening to Cafe Bitcoin. We do this every day. We start at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern. We roll for about two hours to talk about all things Bitcoin. It's becoming the place to get your Bitcoin news in the morning. Also a preferred hangout for a lot of the top thinkers in Bitcoin. Guys like Stefan Levera drop in here on the regular, just randomly, just hang out and talk. It's fantastic. It's also a podcast up on Spotify, Apple. Bitcoin 2022 is coming up in April. I'm going. I know a lot of people in this room are going. It's going to be a great time. Three days of incredibly information-dense opportunities to learn about Bitcoin, followed by a music festival in the evenings, great opportunities to connect with Bitcoiners, network, make new friends. Don't miss it. Promo code SWAN for 10% off. Want to work in Bitcoin? to practice uh, predatorial sitting conferences i love it's a place to practice predatorial sitting we're going to talk about that too we're going to do another show 
probably in a couple of weeks where we're going to feature good guy and Stefan, if you'll come on, we're going to, we're going to talk about um, best practices for security at the conference and also how to get the best, get the most out of the conference experience. You want to walk, uh, work in Bitcoin, go to bitcoinerjobs.com. We have a telegram group for this show now. Link is in the nest. If you want to join that, talk to other cafe Bitcoiners, ask questions, etc. Let's see. Friday, we've got Adam O from Upstream Data coming in. We're going to talk about mining stuffs. Excited about that. Samurai Wallet. How's Good morning going? to you. Good morning. Mm, it's going great. Thank you. So Samurai is probably one of the best known wallets in all of Bitcoin. A lot of security mining guys rave about it all, all the time. Uh, there is a new series that Samurai just released on uh, YouTube today. It's a Bitcoin privacy series. It's got seven videos, under seven minutes, get you up to speed on the uh, concept of Bitcoin security. But why don't you tell us a little bit about the origin of Samurai, the ethos of Samurai, what you guys believe to be important, and then we yeah. can kind of roll from there. Uh, sure. So both myself and my uh, co-founder, Samurai, got into Bitcoin in around 2012. Um, and we, you know, we were really taken. We, we got the bug. Uh, and within a few months of getting into Bitcoin, we both left our fiat jobs and dived straight into the industry, got jobs earning Bitcoin and doing all that. Um, by 2015, with a couple of years of experience in the industry, we both had the same thoughts independently that um, Bitcoin privacy in particular wasn't, wasn't being uh, given uh, enough of a uh, emphasis. And... Um, both being able, we we decided. Well, we, we could complain about it, or we could do you know do something about it. And uh, that's something about it is when we decided to do Samurai Wallet. And right from the start, it's been a wallet about maximizing the amount of uh, transactional privacy that you can obtain while using uh, you know the transparent blockchain. Uh, so and that's kind of the origin story. Uh, right from the beginning, we we knew what we wanted to do. Um, and that was, like I said, privacy, um, censorship resistance, all the things that you know you guys were talking about earlier, uh, coming to light why we need this in in a form of uh, digital currency. Uh, we identified that very early on and have been working tirelessly to provide the tools to make that kind of thing possible. Would you uh, give us like a little bit of a rundown on? what the wallet is like how just briefly main features how it works that kind of thing kind of what is the the um best way to use it in your view okay sure yeah so um <clears throat> there's, there's there's kind of a multifaceted uh, aspect to the wallet uh for uh, on the most simple level we try to to provide the user with the most private defaults uh, especially when it comes to the transactions uh, that they they make on the on the transparent ledger. So we do a lot of things under the hood that the user doesn't have to really worry about. Um, one of which is randomizing the change output, since there's a, a known analysis heuristic 
um, which can you know follow the change of a Bitcoin transaction based on the fact that almost all wallets um, keep it in the same position all the time. So Samurai randomizes the position of the change. Uh, it also does another kind of uh, neat trick with change outputs uh, where it matches the address type of this the, the send destination. So if you're sending from a, a Bash32 address to a legacy address and the change comes back as a Bash32 address, it's pretty clear which is the change output. So we match it to the, the spend output so you would get that change at a legacy address. Uh, so these things happen on the default of the wallet. Uh, on the user intervention side of things, so a user can obtain additional uh, privacy benefits by engaging certain uh, features. One of the, the highlight features is Whirlpool, which is a non-custodial um, Chalmian blinded coin join. And um, so a user engages that feature to break the transaction history from you know prior to entering uh, that coin join. And the what happens afterwards with that coin. So public, uh, you know, disassociating that, that transaction history. Um, and, you know, we have, very, we, we have a lot of features in there. Uh, another one is BIP47 PayNIMS, which is like a stealth address implementation for Bitcoin. Uh, this would have been really useful for um, the Canadian truckers if it had been widely uh, built into wallets other than Samurai. Uh, it allows them to publicly share a, a static string of text like a Bitcoin address, but it's a little longer. Uh, and people can donate to them using that stealth address and generate uh, fresh Bitcoin addresses that are not associated with that public string. So um, luckily, users are now able to use Payment or Bit47, which is a stealth address on Samurai Wallet and Sparrow Wallet. So it, they, that just dropped today on the Sparrow Wallet side. They implemented it. So it's growing. Uh, so that's the quick rundown. This will hey, I got to tell you real quick. This will make me get an Android just for this feature alone. <laughs> I'm an iPhone guy, but I'm I'm definitely getting an Android device as soon as possible. I think the the there is a bounty on uh, implementing it on uh, Blue Wallet, which is on iOS. So if the if if that bounty gets claimed, then maybe you'll be seeing it in Blue Wallet soon. I think you missed out one of my. There's so many more features too. But yeah, there's tons. <laughs> I think one of the most practical, I think, and, and to your point, you've done a really good job with the security by default, right? The average consumers don't don't understand the need for privacy in most cases until it's too late, until they've yep. been affected. So that's that's the without a doubt, that's the best part of the samurai model. But I really like the UTXO management. So yep. a lot of people don't know what Bitcoin dusting is. But one of the ways that we track stolen funds for law firms or government or different groups, um, we use bit, what's called Bitcoin dusting. And the Samurai wallet, uh, it allows you to separate all of those, which can lower the cost of your transactions by, by only using you know, one pile of change, essentially, or one, one jar. Um, but also it protects you from those dusting attacks, allowing people to fingerprint your transactions indefinitely into the future. Um, it's uh, like, I don't know, maybe you can explain how the finger, finger, fingerprinting, the dusting works and why you guys implemented features to block that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm glad you brought it up. I forgot to mention that we've had that in the wallet for so long. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, so a dusting attack uh, occurs when a very small amount of, of Bitcoin, usually around 546 sats, which is the minimum amount uh, that can be spent 
get sent to an address that's associated to you. So maybe it's an address you used previously. Um, and most wallets don't alert you to this this transaction that's been added to your wallet. You might see uh, you might see it in the transaction log, but some wallets just hide such small amounts uh, from displaying. Uh, so you wouldn't, in, in normal uh, circumstances, you wouldn't know about this dust uh, UTXO that's been sent to you. Uh, so when you go to spend uh, in a new transaction, um, your wallet will select that UTXO, add it to your transaction. So even a brand new fresh uh, address that you're using will be associated now to the previous address via this dust UTXO. Uh, so what Samurai Wallet has done for a long time and what we implemented was any any incoming transaction that we suspect is dust because its value is so low, uh, you'll be alerted as soon as you open the wallet up and it, it detects it, uh, and it'll say, "Hey, this this we think this might be a dust uh, UTXO. Uh, would you like to mark it as unspendable?" So you can you know in the wallet that marking it unspendable tells the wallet, "Hey, don't ever use this UTXO to do anything with. Just I don't want to see it anymore. Just." Uh, hide it. And you can always mark it as spendable later on when you decide what you want to do with it. Uh, but the safest option is to just accept, say, hey, yeah, that's probably dust and mark it unspendable. And, and all of that kind of happens automatically as soon as it's detected in the wallet. Yeah, think of it this way. If the feds were trying to track you, they walked up and they, they tapped you with a radioactive isotopes, something that was breaking down, that allows them to track you from things like satellites, that allows them to track you locally. Um, because that it, it puts it puts a, a digital fingerprint, or puts a radioactive fingerprint on you. When people do this dusting stuff, if you don't separate it like Samurai Wallet does, tiny little bits of that uh, those satoshis will be included in, um, indefinitely in your transactions. So what we've done is we've created, a, a, let's call it um, a particular um, a particular sign or a particular. Um, tracking point that will be included in all those wallets so by creating those those transactions manually we can look for that as in a sense that nuclear breakdown through all of your transactions in the future we were able to find 26 million dollars from the quadriga lawsuit sitting on exchanges right now right so it's it's something that most people don't understand but it's regularly being used for heuristics and on-chain uh, analysis and things like samurai just protect you from it which i think is rad as hell Without even getting it, it's very. It makes sense why to use it. Yeah, definitely. And you know, the part of it is making the warning scary, right? It's like, hey, this is a dust transaction. It's probably trying to track you. You know, do you want to mark it as do not spend? Most people, you know, will say absolutely, uh, which is what we want them to do until they they decide at a later date. Maybe they know a little bit more what they want to do with it. Like send it into okay, the world. Question. Yeah, that's what I was just going to ask. If you've, got a dust, if you've got a dust mark transaction, can you chunk that into a whirlpool and then um, later use that? So in this in this area of Bitcoin, like you guys are like, you're way up there in the stratosphere. I want to just learn as much as I possibly can today. So I want to lean on you, good guy, to ask good questions. And also, I know you're super technical about this kind of stuff. It's also, um, I want to throw a shout out to Pablo, who's the head of R&D for Swan Bitcoin. I'm going to throw you an invite to speak if you want to come up and can also do that. Uh, Samurai, can you 
give us an idea, talk to us a little bit about CoinJoin and Whirlpool and how that all works and what, what is the safe way to use that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, CoinJoin is the is a process that um, is supposed to disassociate the links to prior history of, of a coin to its future activity. So a very simple example is you buy some Bitcoin from an exchange, a centralized exchange that has your KYC information and your identity. Uh, you withdraw it from that exchange into self-custody into an address that you control. So you've taken custody, which is great, uh, but the exchange knows 100% that the address that you, uh, you know, took, self, uh, took custody at is your address and it's associated to your identity. Um, without using a coin join, that association, uh, for the most part, stays attributed, at least at a probabilistic uh, level. Uh, in further transactions that you make. So depending on how you transact, and if you're just using a, a standard Bitcoin wallet, um, most Bitcoin wallets, the, the, the heuristics will be pretty reliable. So anyone who is looking will be able to say with some degree breaking that history on the blockchain. So you're entering into a, a transaction that involves other people who are doing the same as you entering into this transaction. Um, and you're, you're essentially, think of it, uh, I, I, I've used this example be, uh, recently, think of it as you, each person in the coin join is, in this transaction is contributing an equal amount of gold, uh, gold jewelry, right? Weight wise, they're, they're all into, uh, putting all this gold jewelry into a pot. Then the, that gold jewelry is melted down and turned into uh, ingots of uh, appropriate weight and given back to each of the participants. So it's the same gold, but it's now been it's been smelted and it has a brand new history. You know, you will never know that those no one who accepts those little ingots will know that it came from all of this gold jewelry. If that makes sense, it not only makes sense. I love the analogy because yeah, the smelting analogy is is it's it's perfect for coin joint. Well, it's perfect for gold bugs too. Yeah. <laughs> People who understand gold get that. Like I can remember there was a country in the north part of Africa. I want to say it was Tanzania. I don't remember. Um, what I do remember is that um, the people, there was a populist uprising against the government. The members of the royal family, so to speak, fled the country. They, they took the gold. And one of the interesting properties of gold is even if it's a, a so-called good delivery bar, for example, which has a, a serial number on it to identify it in terms of audits, et cetera. When you look at, like, for example, the GLD ETF, and they claim to have all this gold, and then they audit it, and they say, okay, well, we've got these bar numbers of good delivery bars, which is basically the bricks that you see that fall out of the back of trucks and in Ocean's Eleven movies or whatever um, – you can take those and just just like Samurai was just saying is you can melt them and then recast them into different ingots, maybe smaller, maybe a one ounce ingot, lots of one ounce ingots or whatever form factor you want. And the actual origin, that serial number is no longer there. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah, these these gold companies aren't to be trusted either. There's um, the, the gold was a good way to launder money around the world. 
um, especially like slave labor gold or illegal trade gold or uh, what you call like violence, blood diamonds, blood gold. There's a very sophisticated system in areas like New York where um, that, 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 that gold lands and it is, it is um, melted down. Some, we, we could call this this blood gold is melted down and turned into legitimate bricks by being restamped. Um, and we see this happen all the time. So it's just like a lot of the American dollars and the Russian banking system are what we call super bucks. Uh, a lot of the gold in our traditional gold systems are, are blood gold, you know, mined by slave labor, stolen through by dissidents and other, you know, uh, corrupt governments and, and found its way back into our national holdings. It's, it's incredibly how, incredible how bad it is. Well, I mean, one way to look at that as well is, is that Bitcoin is for everybody, right? It's, there's going to be plenty of bad actors who use Bitcoin to do nefarious things. The question then becomes, you know, well, what do we do about those Bitcoins? Should, should we fight to keep those fungible or, or what? And that's something I wanted to ask Samurai about as well, um, but maybe a little bit later in the show because it's a, it's a concern. Um, is there anything else you want to tell us about um, CoinJoin Whirlpool that's important as far as, you know, the safe way to use it? best practices, that kind of thing? Uh, yeah, so so uh, following on from the, 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 the smelting analogy that I used, um, what the, the key part of, of Whirlpool is that you don't have to give up your custody of your gold ingots or your gold jewelry to do this, right? So that's the innovative thing. Um, you and all the other participants of the coin join transaction contribute your, your gold jewelry, but you don't give up the private keys to it. Uh, so retaining uh, the retaining a custody at all times is is essential and important. Um, how to use it safely? I mean, again, we we've tried to uh, make the defaults, you know, the the most sane way of using things. Uh, so it's really it's really quite simple to use. Uh, some some gotchas that people need to think about uh, would be. What coins are you putting into Whirlpool uh, together? So, let's say I um, have my, my my exchange coins that I bought with my KYC information, and maybe I have some coins from from a activity that I'm not proud of, and and you know I, I want to keep hidden. Um, by combining those two sets of coins together to enter Whirlpool, it's true the history. Uh, you know the the coins will be broken from their history uh, once the whirlpool finishes, but you've given additional information to anyone looking by combining those two sources of coins and entering whirlpool together. So the coins that you may not have associated with your identity are now associated with your identity by combining them with the coins you got from the exchange, if that makes sense. So that's, that's something that uh, users need to think about. And one way to avoid linking anything is by entering only one, you know, uh, UTXO or one coin at a time, um, or only entering coins together that you know are associated already. Yeah, because a whole Bitcoin will take a while, and and best practices is how people get caught the mass surveillance net, right? Seeing those transactions simultaneously on that internet service providers, those different service providers. Uh, but I think that's one of the reasons that the full node and the Stonewall stuff is so cool because I can I can make those transactions in a way I'm comfortable with it batching and then I can I can go to a place where I have what I would call reliable connection with anonymity 
and then uh, initiate those transactions there as well. So, you know, I think if you were to layer, like so certainly could you speak to how long it would take to whirlpool a whole Bitcoin, for example? But I think by keeping your trans trans transactions offline until you get back to your full node, you can harden this even more. So, I mean, a Bitcoin wouldn't take very long. Uh, so, so we have multiple pools in, in, in Whirlpool, our coin joint implementation. Uh, and, and pools are, are, you can think of that if we're following the same analogy, the size of the ingot that you're going to get back, right? So uh, we have the 0 0.001 pool. Uh, these are a pretty small size. I think it's something like, you know, 40 something dollars worth of Bitcoin. Um, and then at the large, at the, the top end, we have the 0 0.5 Bitcoin pool. Uh, so if you're putting one Bitcoin into the 0 0.5 Bitcoin pool, um, it would mix pretty much in generally a couple minutes, uh, as long as there's liquidity uh, in the pool. Uh, the really? 0 .5, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's 4,300 uh, Bitcoin in the uh, as unspent capacity in, in Samurai Whirlpool. Uh, Jesus, in, in comparison to something like Tornado, which would take uh, months, right? Uh, so I, I haven't used Tornado. I, I know it is getting quite heavy use on the Ethereum side of things, and usually when we see when we see um, transactions crossing over uh, into Bitcoin uh, by via like you know Ren or something like that, you, they usually have Tornado cash history. So it's being used. I don't know how quickly uh, it would it would take to do it on there on their thing but one bitcoin even in the 0 0.05 pool would be mixed pretty much uh within a few minutes uh it's only when you start to put in really large amounts uh, you know 20 30 bitcoin that you're going to be waiting around a little, little bit okay um we're going to go with worth possibly shane hit some announcements i have more questions this has been fantastic worth go ahead yeah, good morning, Alex. Uh, listen, I really appreciate this conversation this morning. I have a very, uh, I'm very deficient um, in, uh, I mean, I have a treasure and understand cold storage, but as far as what you guys are providing at Samurai, I do not have a great understanding of, and that's kind of an area of weakness that I've recognized in myself, and I need to learn about some grateful for you being on today and share this. Um, just because I'm coming at it from a very remedial standpoint, and I don't know if they're like like people on this space today but kind of for me the infarction to learning is just often driven by being unfamiliar with the terminology um, and sometimes terminology can be intimidating to people um, is there anything that you recommend uh, for your product to get up to speed because you've you used a lot of terminology that i regret that i'm that i'm unfamiliar with today um, and so i don't know if anyone else feels that way and Maybe I'm just way behind the curve, but uh, I would certainly appreciate any direction that you could give that would, you know, I know when I got into Bitcoin, uh, the first thing I did was uh, someone that was, you know, um, deep into Bitcoin. I said, is there anything you can provide me that, that allows me to learn the language? And if I can learn the language, then I begin to understand things. And so I guess I feel the same way about, you know, you guys wallet or moving towards towards transacting um in bitcoin versus just savings in bitcoin so i'll just uh, be quiet and listen thank you uh, yeah absolutely uh, alex brought it up a little earlier but the uh youtube series that we just released uh the bitcoin privacy series is a really good starting point uh my guess is one of the uh terms that that 
through you was UTXO. And that's the first video explains what a UTXO is. And uh, by the end of the seven videos, like I said, less than uh, seven minutes long each, uh, you'll have a fundamental understanding of uh, transacting on the blockchain, uh, the terminology in use, and how to track your own transactions. Wonderful. I'll do my homework on that. I appreciate the guidance. Sure. But by the way, I'll give you guys a tip. These technical videos that Samurai and these other people make and put on YouTube, they have what we would call sustaining power in that they're going to be relevant technical information for a very long time. So if you want to also do your signaling, make sure to leave some comments so all the other OGs that are learning about privacy uh, see you doing it as well. Thank you. Shane, go ahead. Hey, just real quick, want to make a comment since Worth asked this and then ask a question, Worth. I'll definitely watch all of the Samurai videos. I plan on doing the same. And then I think um, Unchained Capital does a really good job on UTXO management very specifically they don't talk about coin join because they don't really offer that but i think they do a really good job of talking about utxos as well the question i had uh for samurai is um and i'm i'm, I'm gonna make some assumptions but i'd i would love for you to clarify how you know let's say that someone like worth has a treasure and their main goal is to uh, you know, to have cold storage. So, you know, I'm wondering if someone wants to do a coin join with Samurai, I'm assuming they would maybe bring those coins into the Samurai wallet, um, you know, do the coin join and then move them back to cold storage or, or you know, what, what would a process be to do that? That's directed to you, Samurai. I don't know if you're, uh, Sorry, I was muted. <laughs> uh, you can do, yeah, you can do, you can go about that two ways. The the first way would be to um, move the coins from your Trezor or whatever hardware wallet into a Samurai wallet um, and whirlpool those coins. And at the end of that whirlpooling, uh, you would... Well, you could have it automatically mixed to your cold storage again, or you could engage in various post-mix tools to uh, move them back to your cold storage. The The other way would be to import the cold storage wallet into Samurai first. So you, you would avoid um, combining all those coins together to send out, and you would avoid a tr uh, an additional transaction fee. You may not want to do that because you may want to keep uh, that particular wallet uh, cold, right? So importing that into Samurai would make it hot. Uh, so there's trade-offs there. But yeah, in both ways, you can mix to cold storage and you can send out back to cold storage. Options. It gives you lots of options. Yeah, you know, everything has trade-offs. So we try to give the, we try to do same defaults, but also educate users on the different uh, trade-offs that they're making so if just one other follow-up if people are less concerned at least for the time that it takes to do that whether it's hot or whatever um, um, bottom line if i'm hearing right you can basically <clears throat> do the mix get it back onto your hardware wallet and then you you've successfully basically you know mixed your your coins yeah so so one mix is enough to um break what we call deterministic links from the past history and its future activity. 
Uh, ideally, you stick around uh, and mix a few more times. So in Samurai's implementation of CoinJoin, Whirlpool mix it, remixing is free. Uh, all all you have to do is keep your your uh, mixing client open, and your coins will be selected randomly to be involved in future mixes. Uh, this uh, increases your anonymity set greatly. Um, so we we advise people to stick around and mix a few times at least. Um, and then there, like I said, there's two ways out of Whirlpool um, into your cold wallet. One of which would be the automated uh, mix to uh, Cold, cold storage, uh, which will not appear to be a, a send out of Whirlpool. It will appear to be a Whirlpool transaction, uh, and it will be a Whirlpool transaction, and the address that it uh, arrives on won't be back in your Samurai wallet. It will be back in your cold storage. So this is an automated method. Uh, it's kind of a power user thing right now, or you can do this using a Sparrow wallet on desktop, which is implemented is this- the same. One other quick question, and I'm sorry, I don't want to monopolize, but I think it's related. Will this, will this also have the impact of consolidating no, UTXOs? Okay. Yeah, that, that's really the, the main benefit of it, is that um, there is no consolidation. Each post-mix UTXO you get will arrive on your cold storage wallet, as opposed to in your, your Samurai wallet, which is where it normally would go. Uh, so it doesn't, you know, there's no way to tell uh, from the blockchain if it's your Samurai wallet or your Postmix wallet uh, or your cold storage wallet. <clears throat> what, I, what I mean by consolidate, though, and maybe we're saying the same, let's say you have five UTXOs. Does it mix that, combine them, and then you have one UTXO back, or do you get five back? Is no, you get to five one? back. Okay. Thank you for that clarification. Yeah, you get five Postmix outputs back. If you wanted to combine them, like you mentioned something about importing from your hardware wallet into Samurai, combining all that stuff and then mixing it and then sending it off, like here's a scenario for you. There's one hardware wallet. It's got a bunch of history from lots of different transactions going into it. You import that into Samurai. You run it through a mix. You send it to a completely different hardware wallet. Does that effectively combine all those UTXOs when you when you import it, and then? No. Okay. No. So so yeah, the benefit of importing uh, versus you know making a transaction on your Trezor and sending it out to your Samurai wallet on the blockchain is that's consolidation, right? When you you're making uh, you have a Trezor full of uh, outputs or coins, and you're combining all those coins together and sending them out to Samurai Wallet, that would be consolidation. But by importing that wallet into Samurai, it's not uh, making any any blockchain transactions. It's just uh, recalculating those private keys and making those coins available to you on your Samurai Wallet. So it's then up to the user which coins they want to consolidate together to enter Whirlpool or enter each each coin individually into Whirlpool. Uh, you know they have to make that choice whether they want to consolidate, but no consolidation occurs by default. Okay. Good guy. Go ahead. Okay. So, uh, Alex, uh, as you know, I always come to ask the hard questions anytime I get a chance. And I think this is probably going to be one of the harder questions I'm asking. Uh, but I just want to ask your opinion on the whole Wasabi got people arrested narrative. That's that some of the guys. Hey, good guy. You're, you're kind of trapped in the ma- matrix a little bit, man. I mean, we're only kind of getting yeah. every third word or. Oh hey, is it is it back? Am I back? 
No, still not working. Here, let me at the know. moment, you're good. good to me. Yeah. Yeah, at the moment, you're good. Connection. Yeah, it's doing it again. Is it? Can anybody? Can you hear him? Yeah. Okay, Samurai. Yeah, Samurai. Did you hear the question? I, I think I, I heard the question. Okay. Um, so, I, well, I heard, at least heard part of it. I think the question was, uh, what of the narrative that wasabi gets people uh, in jail or something like that? Um, no, yeah, specifically, it was the like um, one of the guys, and you know, that the, the was the samurai team talking about wasabi got people arrested, right? And I think the DOJ seeing them on public camera doing the security stuff, and I think the DMs on Facebook that got um, got you know uh, audited, all that is far more related. Wouldn't you agree? Then I guess the what I would say is the bad narrative that that Samurai has taken that Wasabi got people arrested. Uh, so, so Samurai hasn't taken a position on on anything. You're talking about uh, an individual who's a developer at Samurai, who's our co-founder. Um, who who says that? But you know, it's it, it is ultimately true that every one of these cases uh, in which these people were taken down, and it's not just one case; it's you know uh, multiple cases involved uh, wasabi being successfully demixed, quote unquote. Um, as to what actual evidence was used been very recently demonstrated with the DAO hacker being so easily uh, traced through it due to um, implementation bugs in, in the software that have been talked about and known about since uh, 2019 and have been refused to have been fixed. Right, no, you know, but the filings are publicly available, right? And you can see that they subpoenaed all the Facebook DMs specifically, and that's what the charges are in relation to, right? Um, so like the emails and the DMs were openly discussed, right? Were they openly discussed defrauding? Oh, you what, know, what you're talking about multiple cases, uh, and I'm not talking about a single particular case. I'm talking about the reality, uh, that every one of these people were using Wasabi to anonymize their coins, uh, and had been successfully de-anonymized by use of the software, uh, so when without you say having to see the When you said de-mixed by Wasabi, sorry, this is like... This was the one hard question I brought today. Um, when you said demixed in Wasabi, what do you mean by that? I mean the ability to link mixed outputs to what went in. So you put 50 Bitcoin in and you're able to determine that from that 50 Bitcoin, that, you know, 45 of it um, went to these exchanges. Uh, that's a demixing. Uh, because you shouldn't be able to do that. You shouldn't be, and it, it, you know, it, the, the way that can happen is multiple ways, right? It could be bad user behavior, where the user does something like uh, don't doesn't respect timing analysis, for example, and you see them enter forty Bitcoin in, and after a mix, forty Bitcoin goes out. You can be reasonably sure that's the person. That's not what happened here. Uh, what happened here is without you know getting too technical, um, the incoming amount of Bitcoin. Let's talk about the, the uh, DAO hacker uh, because we were able to quote-unquote demix that DAO hacker within five minutes and I put a video on YouTube with exactly how we did it so you can follow along. Um, they put in 50 Bitcoin and due to a bug in the software the unmixed portion of that Bitcoin went to the same address as a mixed output of that Bitcoin. 
And because of that one instance of address reuse that the software did on behalf of the user, you're able to link all 50 Bitcoin to a one Bitcoin withdrawal to a centralized exchange. You could do it in five minutes. And I encourage everyone who's listening to go onto our YouTube. It's the most recent video. And it's five minutes long, and you can follow along exactly how it happened. Right. I was more so, interested in like the Big Club and the Plus Token stuff, those particular cases. And some yeah, so the Plus Token stuff in particular had that same exact issue. That's how we were able to track almost the entirety of the funds that went into Wasabi and when they went out to... Uh, okay. All right. Samurai, I'm going to pause you there. Hold that thought. We're going to hit a couple of quick announcements. Pablo, we lost you. If you want to come back up here, throw a hand. Also, I saw Shinobi in the audience a couple of minutes ago. Shinobi, if you're still here, you want to come up and, and talk about these subjects. We'd love to have you up here. You're listening to Cafe Bitcoin. We do this Monday through Friday. We start at 7 a.m. Pacific. Roll for about two hours. Talk about all things Bitcoin. Great place to come and get your Bitcoin news in the morning. It's also becoming a preferred, preferred hangout for some of the smartest people in Bitcoin. To just chat about what's going on. This is also a podcast. It's up on Spotify and Apple. Throw a follow to Swan Bitcoin if you want to be notified when, when it drops. The Bitcoin 2022 conference is coming up in April in Miami. 30,000 plus Bitcoiners descending on Miami Beach. We're going to take the place over. It's going to be an absolute blast. You do not want to miss this. Incredible opportunity to network with other Bitcoiners. Make potentially lifelong friends. Earn tons about Bitcoin. Promo code Swan for 10% off. One thing I'd like to quickly plug about Swan, by the way, that we don't really talk about so much is, is that we have uh, the, the ability to onboard businesses and entities. So we're talking about trusts, we're talking about nonprofits, we're talking about companies, partnerships, LLCs. Uh, if you have a self-directed IRA, we can do all of those things. And our onboarding time for businesses is extremely fast. In the industry, I mean, I hear people, I talk to clients who tell me, you know, they've been waiting for four or six weeks, sometimes months to have their business onboarded onto certain exchanges who won't be named, but um, they're very frustrated by the end of the process. And, and uh, Swan has got an incredibly fast onboarding time for businesses. So check us out. All right, Samurai, if you don't mind, you can go ahead and continue in that last thought. Uh, well, I don't really remember where I was at, but, um, you know, oh, right. So the, the, the plus token, uh, it was the same issues uh, that the um, Dow hacker um, went through. So the unmixed change is a part of the, the mixed transaction went to a, an address that a mixed output went to um, <clears throat> and thereby linked those outputs together. Uh, so those mixed outputs shouldn't be able to be linked, but they were linked due to the address use and the fact that the unmixed um, coins uh, are part of the mixed transaction. So it was a fundamental um, issue with the way Wasabi composes transactions that we've been talking about since 2019, and the same, uh, you know, the same issues were I, I believe are being exploited by uh, Chainalysis and other analysis companies. Uh, so I don't think they have a, you know, a magical demixing tool. I think they, they know deficiencies in the software and they exploit those deficiencies whenever they can. Well, I appreciate uh, your perspective. I, uh, 
I don't necessarily agree that Wasabi got people arrested. I think that narrative is a bit of a um, a misconception, um, and it's. I think that the, the co-founder has had some bad takes on some of that stuff for a while, which is one of my only concerns. Um, but uh, you so know, I think the I think the worst takes are what's left behind on the blockchain because that's permanent, uh, and it cannot be denied that the de-anonymization has occurred because it's all there to be reviewed on the blockchain. As we've discussed already on this space, uh, the education level is quite low for most people. So it's hard for them to verify because they don't understand how to read the blockchain, how to use it and how to, and, and the heuristics that these analysis companies do end up using. Um, so Education is the key, and that's part of the reason why we put out that YouTube series, because it's a good introduction. It gets you up to speed on how you can view the blockchain and start to analyze your own transactions, and that's the best way to learn. Um, and the best way to to become more private is actually understanding what you're leaving behind on the, the immutable blockchain ledger. T totally agree. And I, I love that you guys are having conversations about best practices, and you're calling each other out and trying to hold each other accountable. And that's what I think the anti-fragility of this space is all about, the consensus of the space is all about. So I love the privacy tools by default and uh, the ability for average users to get access to a lot of these tools that Samurai offers. Uh, it, it's, it's wicked. So I, I don't want that to detract from one particular person's opinions, detract from the benefit of these types of tools, right? So I appreciate that. Thank you. Okay, so I would like to, uh, Shinobi, by the way, welcome up. We're going to call on you here in just a second. I'm sure you're going to have some great um, either questions or points to add to the conversation. I'd like to bring it back down a little bit to basics um, and address a couple of questions. The first is, um, how are Samurai users protected if the um, sort of coding group, you guys, Samurai, like the people, come under duress by government? Uh, is there a risk to people using Samurai, Whirlpool, CoinJoin, etc.? Well, there's nothing uh, illegal about using CoinJoin. Uh, all it is is it's just a type of transaction, a Bitcoin transaction. Uh, and it doesn't look like it's going to be made illegal or anything like that. So the issue comes down to regulated entities uh, are they going to um, discriminate against coin join transactions? Uh, they're not necessarily doing it now on mass, but they might do so in the future. Uh, so that's really, uh, you know, it's not a legality risk. It's a regulatory risk. Uh, and, you know, we're of the opinion uh, overall that entities, uh, regulated entities aren't going to necessarily discriminate against coin join transactions on a blanket basis. Um, they'll discriminate uh, against transactions that they can attribute to something against their either terms of service or something that sets off their regulatory backend, right? Uh, and a good coin join transaction shouldn't do that. Uh, again, it's freshly smelted uh, and, and shouldn't give off anything that would be against terms of services. Right. So this is the, the fungibility question. This brings us to the fungibility issue as to whether certain coins that have been through coin joins, or let's say, for example, um, there is some coins that have been identified by government, so to speak, as, as um, 
you know, held by bad actors. So let's say you get into a coin join with those people. Therefore, the outputs from that, I guess, I don't know if I'm talking out of my butt here. Please correct me if I don't understand what I'm saying. The outputs from that, you know, could be, they could say, well, you know, if you're an exchange or whatever, there's potential that's coming from these bad actors. Therefore, these other these other coins are, are tainted or whatever. What are your thoughts on that? Well, they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be connected to those coins. That's the the whole point of the coin join transaction. So, while the the coins might have entered the coin join, entered the mix, you can't reliably attribute them to any one of the post mix outputs that you you, you have. Uh, so, and again, the 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 quote unquote sanctioned uh, coins wouldn't be a part of the actual mix transaction. They would have already been moved one hop away. And entered into the mixed transaction with with uh, fresh unused addresses, um, and what's attributable to the input coins um, again with multiple remixes, the probabilities is off the charts that it can be connected, and it's it's why it's important that there's a, a large liquidity pool, and that that large liquidity pool um, remixes, and, and that's we've seen how how Whirlpool is performing that. Oh, and structurally in each mix it has to involve remixers, at least one remixer, but in practice it's usually two, um, two or three. Is it, is it safe to say that these are basically just dumb questions that if people would just use no. Samurai, they'd figure it out on their own or what? No, no, no. They're not dumb questions at all. It, it, they're, they're very uh, relevant to Bitcoin users. Um, and, and ultimately, you don't, we don't know what centralized and regulated entities are going to do. Uh, or what they're going to be, you know, forced to do. Uh, As you've discussed in in this space already, things happen very, very fast, right? Things happened very fast in Canada, and they can happen very fast anywhere else. So what governments make these centralized regulated entities do um, remains to be seen. Uh, I think it's safe to say, and what we've always encouraged is that users uh, in Bitcoin recognize that, that, um, you know, it's not just about keeping self-custody, although that's incredibly important. It's also about um, maintaining your privacy on the public ledger so that your identity is not attributable to uh, your coins. And that may mean that you need to avoid centralized services in the future. And that may mean you need to um, uh, uh, hope that a robust Bitcoin economy is starting to develop uh, because that's going to be your best bet. Um, it's always going to be the on-ramps and the off-ramps where they can get you. Yeah, I'm super glad we're recording these. I'm going to go back and listen to this this show probably a couple of times. This has been outstanding. Shinobi, good morning. Welcome to the stage. Jump in here. You have any thoughts? Yeah, I kind of wanted to go back to the issues that Good Guy Biker brought up um, because th- this is something that's been going on for multiple years. Um Let's set aside the recent DAO hacker incident, which does look like it was caused by a bug in Wasabi, but a three-year-old bug that's been patched for three years. And let's look at the BitClub and PLUS token arrests. Um, All that was ever ascertained on chain was the fact that BitClub funds went into a Wasabi mix. It was never demixed, never de-anonymized. And the BitClub team was arrested based on the fact that they were on pub or like public video streams, illegally selling securities, 
and then had their private Facebook DMs and emails subpoenaed by the Department of Justice, where they were openly talking about defrauding their customers. And the plus token case, where they condensed thousands of coins post-mix, and the reality of the matter is the only reason that gave anything away is because they were mixing orders of magnitude more coins than the average volume of Wasabi. And that's not a problem with Wasabi. That's a problem with any mixer. If you only have 100 coins mixing on a regular basis and you try to shove 10,000 Bitcoin through it, no mixer is going to provide that anonymity. And so I want to circle back to TDEV constantly claiming that Wasabi gets people arrested in the context of user education and users actually understanding privacy. Because those claims in both cases that some fundamental flaw in Wasabi got them arrested is just completely factually incorrect. In the case of BitClub, nothing was ever de-anonymized. And they were arrested based on subpoenaed emails and Facebook DMs. And in the case of Plus Token, it's because they tried to mix orders of magnitude more coins than that mixer could actually provide anonymity for. And okay, these types I- of completely inaccurate claims about a competitor undermine education about privacy in this space. They undermine people actually learning how it works when you have the lead developer of a privacy tool that I will say, if used properly, is a very good tool, constantly spread misinformation like that and make it more and more confusing for your average user to actually understand what's going on here when they just see claims being thrown around that they don't even know where to start how to verify the accuracy of. That's that's fair. Um, what I'm curious about, if I can jump in here for a second, is like like Shinobi, you're saying orders of magnitude of coins, like thousands of coins. Yeah, there was like tens of thousands of coins they were trying to mix, and no, then they were condensing them post mix after mixing. Okay, so is it fair to say that this particular issue doesn't apply to most people? Your average user, no. But the important point to take away there is that would have happened regardless of what they mixed with. That would have happened if they used Samurai. That would have happened if they used right. Join Market. It's irrelevant. Yeah, I get it. I get it. It's, it's a little bit of a, it's, it's kind of like, um, this is the way I look at it. Guys like you, Shinobi and Good Guy and the developers of Samurai, I mean, just in my opinion, the super smart people in Bitcoin, right? You guys are way freaking smarter than the average person. I believe you're probably way smarter than me. Um, it's it to me. It's 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 not that it's not important. It is, but it's more like a, a lightsaber battle against like Jedi masters that most people don't give a crap about. <laughs> I'd like to, if possible, and not that it's not important. I think you know it is important. But I don't know that this is the right form to have that lightsaber battle because for most people, like they're not going to have tens of thousands of coins and they're not going to really care. Like it does matter. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I just don't know that this is the battleground for that. Shane? If, if I may, if I may speak. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, he was addressing that too. So you should have an opportunity to respond. Please do. 
Can't hear you, Samurai. Don't know why. It'd be the worst time to drop off, right? <laughs> he shows to be unmuted, but Samurai, if you can hear me, maybe try to reconnect. I think uh, we're having a little bit of a connection issue, maybe. Go ahead, Shane. Well, I was going to ask, and I may have to ask it again if he's unable to hear, but Samurai, I guess the question is getting back to what I think are hopefully maybe questions for the common user. I'm just curious for the you know, conscientious person that's going to eventually, if they do actually sell any other Bitcoin, you know, have a, a tax event, all of that. I'm just wondering how people, if they, you know, if, if they coin join and mix all their coins, how they're going to be able to keep up with that properly. I, mean, I don't want you to answer that, obviously, from an accounts perspective, just from the more technical perspective, if that makes sense. But he's gone. Well, he's down in listener, Alex, so maybe he heard the question. Yeah, I don't see that. Like, uh, my, I don't know if my Spaces client is bugging out. Sometimes when you're the co-host, it does weird shit. So, Jacob, if you can see him, bring him up. Still shows him as a speaker for me. I'm trying to bring him up right now. Yeah, I don't know. Jesus, Shinobi, what did you do? While he's coming up, I mean, yeah, I, I appreciate what you're saying, Alex. Like, this isn't probably the place, right? But, I mean, I think for me, the bigger point on all of this is just, like, it, it shouldn't be fair for one person to say, like, this one implementation is getting people arrested when it's really not that. Hi. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, you're yeah, back. You're back. Welcome back. Okay. Please. Sorry about that. Please I'm not sure, sure what happened there. Um, not so, your yeah. fault, man. Blame Twitter. Uh, Okay. Actually, in, in in particular, blamed it on Twitter now that Jack has left. Right. Um, so I, I agree there doesn't need to be a lightsaber battle. Uh, Alex, I, I think that's absolutely correct. It's not the right form. Uh, and there wasn't much of a question to Shinobi. I think it was more of a statement, which is completely fine and warranted for him to make. I, I would just address two points. Uh, the first point being that uh, the address reuse bug has not been fixed. Uh, we can still find mixes that are happening today on Wasabi Wallet that suffer from the same exact issue. Um, and the second point, um, every analysis that we've provided uh, where we've said that we've been able to attribute the post-mix coins to the pre-mix coins uh, have been provided with blockchain evidence. Uh, and a report has been published, and the transaction IDs and addresses have been published alongside that report. So I would encourage uh, anyone who's listened and doesn't know who might be telling the truth to just review the data themselves. And that's the best that we can, we, anyone could ask uh, anyone to do in Bitcoin is, is don't trust but verify. Um, uh, re really quick, Samurai, are you claiming that the symmetric address reuse where a coin is sent to the same address that an input was using is the same bug where only the output was reused in separate transactions because that's completely different behavior and the symmetric input and output reuse in the same transaction is intentionally done by somebody? 
Like that's not a bug. And that's not the same behavior that was shown in the Dow hacker case. Uh, both forms of address reuse are still happening on Wasabi Wallet. Uh, I, I would encourage users to um, go to Wasabi Stats on Twitter, some some account that tracks this, uh, and a, they'll post a transaction ID with the amount of reuses and type of reuses, and you can verify it for yourself. Okay, let's pivot. Um, I think we've we've talked this one out. Uh, if if anybody else has feelings, I think like a, a Twitter thread would probably be a good space. But uh, as far as the Samurai Wallet, it's got a lot of cool functionality. Is there any new functionality? I know you guys just implemented the Taproot stuff as well. Is there any new privacy tools you guys are looking uh, at, at? I guess front running as you guys have a lot of those tools before everybody else. Uh, so we we did enable pay to taproot, um, so users can can send to taproot addresses if they desire. Uh, in terms of, I think privacy tools, it's more been about at least in last year has been about um, improving and making our existing tools more robust and more accessible. Um, one of, I guess, one of the the big improvements that we're looking at on the uh, whirlpool side of things is to uh, let me back up. When you when you enter into a whirlpool mix, uh, there's a transaction that's called the TX zero, and you can think of this as basically a setup transaction uh, where the amount that you want to mix is is broken up into um, equal amount outputs. Uh, and one of the uh, you know downsides of the initial TX0 transaction is that deterministically it's it's one person. So anyone watching that that transaction knows, okay, this is this this person or this entity is entering Whirlpool with this amount. Uh, so what we have in the works is something called multi-party TX0, which uh, a single one of these transactions can contain multiple people or multiple entities. So you will no longer be able to see a, a TX0 and assume it's one entity. Uh, so this is going to be a, a nice improvement uh, in, in the near future. We're also uh, looking at atomic swap functionality, uh, mostly to serve our existing users who uh, one of the ways that they deal with their unmixable, quote unquote, toxic change um, is by using a centralized swapping tool, like uh, generally like FixFloat or something, and swapping into uh, the Monero blockchain and then building up a balance before swapping it back into uh, Whirlpool or into amount that could be Whirlpooled. Um, the issue there is that you're using a centralized swapping entity who could theoretically um, will either steal your funds or uh, seize them, be subject to court order, et cetera. Uh, so in order to get rid of that weak link, we're looking at atomic swaps, which is a decentralized peer-to-peer -peer way of swapping uh, cross-chain. Uh, so we're not, we're not quite there yet on that, uh, that tool, but it's been uh, in development and been planned. And then there's something we've been working on that's it's pretty big, but we're not ready to, to announce it yet. Hopefully sometime in April we'll be able to talk about it. Awesome. I would like to get uh, Pablo's thoughts. Pablo, you've, uh, Pablo is the, the head of R&D at Swan Bitcoin. He's one of our main engineers, does all kinds of magical stuff under the hood. I'd like to get your thoughts and questions or if you have anything to add. 
Yeah. Um, hey guys, how are you doing? Yeah, I wanted to uh, to ask you guys. Uh, well, I mean, somewhere, um, if you guys have looked into, I mean, I'm guessing you have. Or what are your thoughts on the uh, new WhatsApp implementation? Does uh, does it address the the issues that you have with the uh, original implementation, and is it closer to the uh, intent of zero link? Uh, well, it's definitely not closer to zero link, but that's by you know their design. They they moved away from zero link, as I understand it, and are now implementing a different um, uh, strategy or protocol. I think it's called Wabi Sabi. Uh, so it's by design not zero link. The 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 uh, thing is, version one was was also not true zero link. It didn't implement it fully. Uh, so as as for you know thoughts, it's only it's only been on testnet so far. Uh, we've seen we've seen the transactions on testnet, um, and there's still uh, well there still are issues with address reuse. I'm sure they're going to address that before uh, mainnet uh, release, though. Um, and the most important bug that we had discovered and disclosed in the uh, 1.0, which was deterministic um, uh, coin selection for for mixes, has been patched in 2.0. Uh, they did they they did fix that bug. Uh, so, you know, our, our, our primary focus is what happens on chain. Uh, so we're always looking at the, the blockchain, but we'll have a better idea of, um, you know, any improvements or, or, or whatever once they release fully on mainnet. Any other thoughts, Pablo? That's it? Yeah, no, that's it. Um, yeah, maybe also, um, what do you think about the, um, have you used the uh, testnet, the testnet uh, Wasabi 2? Uh, yeah, I, I, I checked it out briefly. I, I, I did a couple coin joins with it. I uh, haven't opened it again, though. What, what do you think about the, uh, the coin control um, UX being uh, quite hidden? Because that, well, was, that, that threw me off quite a bit. Well, I, I don't even know if it's hidden. I, I wasn't able to find it at all uh, when yeah, I, I looked. I, I, I was able to find it. Uh, so if there are a couple of UTXOs that you can spend that would kind of fit within the amount that you want to spend, then you can choose one of those UTXOs. But you, can, you don't get like full list of UTXOs to spend. Right, right. I understand. Uh, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a UX decision they've made. I think it's the wrong decision. Uh, I understand. I understand why they, you know, some someone would have the idea of abstracting away UTXOs to make it more user friendly. Uh, but I think that UTXO is such a fundamental part of of Bitcoin, and it's essential to understand the UTXO model if you want to obtain Bitcoin privacy. Um, I don't. I, I I think it's a bad move, but you know they're going to do what they're going to do. Um, we, we did the opposite. We, you know, didn't have initially when we first launched uh, early uh, to, in 2015, we didn't have a UTXO management screen. Uh, we added that complexity later on um, before we, we launched Whirlpool uh, because we, we realized that we had to get users used to interacting with uh, UTXOs um, because that's fundamentally what they're interacting with when they use Bitcoin. And if they don't understand it, then of course they're gonna they're gonna screw up. 
Yeah, 100% agree. Um, yeah, when I noticed that the, the UTXO management was gone, it's pretty much a non-starter for me. And I think for most people that are going to be into privacy, uh, it's it's um, a very important tool that, I, I don't know, I don't feel comfortable delegating that. Yeah, I, I think it's just a challenge, a UX challenge that as, you know, Bitcoin wallet developers has has to meet. Um, and we're all going to do it in different kind of different ways. Um, and some ways will be better than others. And I think that getting rid of the, you know, removing it is is the wrong solution, even though from maybe like a traditional UX point of view, it's the right solution. But, you know, this, this stuff isn't, it isn't like just any other you know, web app or, you know, um, stupid app that you can get from uh, Silicon Valley. This uh, Bitcoin and the Bitcoin wallet in particular is, uh, it's a really sensitive tool. And um, I think that figuring out the best way to produce the UX that is intuitive, in, intuitive enough for a user who's not familiar to understand is, is a harder, harder goal to reach, but it's an ultimately... Uh, necessary step. So, you know, we won't be getting rid of the UTXO management stuff. I, I, I can't see us ever doing that in Samurai. This has been a really great conversation. I've learned a lot. I have so many notes that I've taken and um, probably going to re-listen to this a couple times. Um, it's a podcast. So if you guys want to do that, you can. It's up on uh, Spotify. It's up on Apple. We'll let you know when it drops. Um, things like this are incredible and really useful for the Bitcoin community at large. I think that uh, it's one of those areas where it's absolutely imperative for somebody to understand it, be involved in Bitcoin um, and just having opportunities like this where we can get you live and ask you questions about stuff is really great. So thank you so much for doing that. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Shane, go ahead. Yeah, quick question. And Samurai, I think you were maybe coming or going at the time that I ask a question I'm going to, and I've had the time to think about asking it maybe in a little different way. And it, at the risk of asking a stupid question, honestly, um, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, and I know a lot of these questions have been around coin join. so I want to actually thank you as well for answering because I think it's a very important topic, but one that so many of us don't fully understand. And some of us are probably afraid of using it. So question is, is, you know, I'm wondering how, if I mix my coins, how I'm going to be able to stick, stay up with my cost basis for my UTXOs. Well, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but coin join isn't a taxable event. You're never sending the coins away from your custody. So it's, it's more like a, a self transfer than anything else. So, but you're getting new coins back, right? Which arguably could have, could have had a different so you you're suggesting i guess you would just keep the cost basis as you already have them recorded in whatever way you do yeah because uh, again think of it as literally a self-transfer uh it's just a self-transfer with extra steps um there's not a there's not an exchange of funds there's not a um a good or service uh obtained using the funds you, you put in one Bitcoin, you get back one Bitcoin minus uh, some some fees, transaction fees, right? So how think of it as any other normal Bitcoin transaction, and however you uh, to yourself, however you you 
track that today. It was how you would track it for coin drop. Uh, how about what are the transaction fees like for people who aren't aware, don't know, listening, never done it before? Let's say somebody wants to do a, a half Bitcoin. What are the transaction fees looking like? Uh, so if they had uh, a half Bitcoin, I wouldn't recommend they go into the half Bitcoin pool because that pool makes more cost. Of, it's more cost effective if you're entering with more than, uh, you know, the minimum, uh, the pool size. So I would say they would go into the 0.05 Bitcoin pool. And the uh, cost of that would be uh, 0.0001 uh, Bitcoin or 1.5. That would be the coordinator fee. And then there, there would be whatever minor fee um, is attached. But, you know, minor fees have been really low uh, consistently. So they'd be looking at between one to two Satoshi per byte. So minor fee be, be negligible to them. Would you say if somebody's considering to do this, they probably want to wait till there's low minor fees to do it? So probably, I mean, that seems obvious. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it will be, it will definitely be less expensive from the uh, Bitcoin uh, minor fee point of view. Um, the, the fixed coordinator fee doesn't change. So, um, you know, if you're entering the smallest pool, it's 5,000 sats at coordinator fee, uh, plus whatever minor fee is, is, uh, associated with the transaction. So a, a low fee environment, one sat, two sat is it's, you know, it's as low as you're going to get. And, you know, there was a small uh, spike yesterday, but one sat is clearing again, uh, today. So, you know, it's, it's a good time to, to coin join. And we've been seeing a huge, huge number of people entering a whirlpool um over the last few weeks so people are taking advantage and they're they've seen the uh the craziness that's going on in the world around them and um they're looking for for the tools and technology that that you know emphasize bitcoin's promises as um censorship free money alex can i ask another question by all means yeah um samra i'm just curious i know that um, I think you briefly mentioned Sparrow earlier, and I know that they've implemented. Now, did they implement, in essence, did they, in a sense, kind of copy what you did, or is it just happens that y'all both implemented Whirlpool? I'm just curious what type of a relationship there might be there, because I do like using the desktop Sparrow. Yeah, Whirlpool, uh, Whirlpool was implemented into Sparrow by Craig. Um, he didn't. He didn't copy us. Uh, it's it's open source. Uh, it's open source software. He was able to implement Whirlpool without asking permission. But we were very happy to hear that he was he was thinking about it. Uh, we did whatever we could on our end to to uh, help him uh, implement. We made a couple pull requests, and likewise, he made pull requests to 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 us. So it was a really good relationship. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a great implementation of Whirlpool. It uses, uh, the same liquidity pool that we have on Samurai. So it, it, it which is a good thing. You want a diverse, um, liquidity pool. And what, what's nice about Sparrow, um, is it's a completely separate wallet than Samurai, uh, using the same, um, that same coordinator's liquidity pool. So it, it diversifies, uh, things for everyone. So we're, we're, we're happy to see. Uh, volume growing on Sparrow's uh, implementation, and you know we're in discussions with um, other wallets who have uh, had an interest in implementing Whirlpool themselves as well. Oh, okay, so here's a question about that. 
Um, with Sparrow's implementation, is it mixing with all the coins that Samurai wallet users are mixing with, or is that a completely yeah, separate? It's the same, yeah, no, it's the same exact liquidity pool. So it's 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 adding more liquidity to the liquidity pool. That's pretty cool. Something that I've wondered about and thought, you know, to myself without really knowing the technical ramifications of it, that if privacy features were standard for all wallets, that might be a good thing. What are you guys' thoughts on that? Samurai, what's your thoughts on that? And then I'd like to get maybe Good Guy and Ants and Pablo's thoughts on that too. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I think that wallet developers should should take sensible private defaults uh, and, and give those to the user without the user having to um, engage or do something special because uh, that's the way you're going to be able to to make the, the biggest impact because most, most users aren't sophisticated or don't have a desire to, to learn the intricacies of this stuff. Uh, so it should be, you know, whatever you can do as a wallet developer to um, provide your users with, with um, transactional privacy, blockchain based privacy, then it should be done. Yeah. I, uh, I think most people don't appreciate the need for privacy until their privacy is broken until it's too late. Yeah. Um, and the whole on-chain public ledger stuff, I think if you really want an example of how the on-chain analytics of this stuff is going to go, you just look at something like the Parler report that Stanford did. For years, I made jokes about students at Parler, or students at Stanford on the weekend doing on-chain heuristics to figure out which one of their professors was buying weird porn or drugs on the, uh, on the dark web in early Bitcoin history. Um, you know, and I was talking 10, 20 years from now. And then they literally like just recently released that Stanford report uh, or the the Parler reports rather, where they de-anonymized people. They talked about all their connections, the language that was being used, the geographical locations. They even collected metadata from other sets. Um, I think that's how a lot of these on-chain transactions are going to go when privacy when privacy isn't um, uh, thought of ahead of time. Uh, so I think the vast majority of transactions, at least from now back. Or the majority until privacy is adopted or as a default with a lot of these things. Um, yeah, I think it will all be revealed in time. And I think, uh, I think that people underestimate how far back they're going to go for these financial crimes. The RICO laws are unique in comparison to other laws and that they can just open up another case and they can hold you up in court indefinitely and they can seize your assets many years later. Um, they can sh shut down that case and open up a new investigation at any time and continue to draw that out indefinitely. Um, so it's a little little different than the rest of the laws we have here in places like North America. So uh, privacy is very important and most people don't care. I don't even know if there's a market for it. Like PGP and all these privacy tools, have any of them ever hit critical mass adoption in first world countries? I think they should though. It's important. Well, there's, there is a market for it because people are paying to do coin joins on a, on a large basis, whether it be Wasabi, Whirlpool, or um, Join Market. Uh, I know our volume's growing. Wasabi probably is the same. So there's a market for it. Uh, it doesn't need to be a mass market. Uh, privacy is always generally a niche market, and that's okay. When you need it, it will be there. And you have any thoughts? If not, we'll go to Pablo. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree with uh, Samurai. There is definitely some market uh, for privacy, and it's clearly only. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? We can hear you now, Ant. 
go and Yep, don't know what's going on there with Ant. Go ahead and finish up, Pablo. Yeah, I was saying that there are definitely some market for, for privacy, uh, and it's only growing, and with everything that has happened with uh, with Canada, with everything that has happened with um, just everything that has happened in the past couple of years, I think it's very clear. Uh, mainstream is starting to understand that uh, privacy is absolutely important. And in, in the case of Bitcoin, it's it's um, even more important because the the uh, the trails uh, that you're leaving on the on the blockchain. Even if if you don't care about privacy now, uh, what you're doing on the blockchain is there forever. Even when you start caring for privacy, even if you start caring for privacy in five years, what you're doing today uh, matters, and maybe what you're doing today is okay now, but it maybe in one or two years it's not going to be okay. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely, definitely uh, in agreement with, with Samuel. There's, there is. Yeah, I, I agree with with exactly what you said, Pablo. Um, and I, I think you know, it's like I said, privacy is always a niche thing. But by and large, I would expect most uh, users of Bitcoin to um, expect that Bitcoin is just as private, if not more private, than the current fiat system, and that is definitely not true. Um, so, so getting privacy by default, privacy at a protocol layer, um, I believe is absolutely essential if Bitcoin is, is to be freedom money. If it's just to be a number go up asset, then maybe it's not as essential, but if it's to be censorship resistant cash, if it's supposed to be, uh, for be making transactions, uh, that you're not supposed to make, uh, then privacy has to be built in or else it's, it's, it's not going to work. It's a it's a um, requirement of freedom money is privacy. Well, if it is a number go up asset, even then it becomes really important because, uh, you know, I've watched more than a few individuals uh, have their life disrupted after coming into uh, large sums of wealth due to things like Bitcoin. Um, some of which uh, even went as far as killing themselves after catching large windfalls in the space. Um, so, you know, the, when when. People start coming after you when you start becoming the target of financial, um, financial. I guess, uh, yeah. People try to take advantage of you, and uh, if you're not private, a lot more people are going to know about your wealth and, and likely try to take advantage of that. So, yeah, Even absolutely. The number go up machine is important too. Well, it's it's important to freedom money, and and, and well, it's important to any money. You know, you can't. Uh, you know, in the fiat system, just because I pay you, right? You you don't know what the balance of my bank account is, uh, and you know it's very it's very easy on Bitcoin to make a mistake and reveal your transaction history and your balance to the people that you transact with, and that's ridiculous. Uh, you know, we don't expect that, and we would be furious if that was happening in in our in the fiat system. Uh, so we should obtain we should be striving for uh, better privacy on Bitcoin to just get a fundamental level of transactional privacy. Uh, so it's yeah, it's absolutely important. Even if number stays sideways, it's important. It's, it's just a fundamental aspect of money. Um, the the emphasis, uh, what I meant by if it's the number go up, if it, if your emphasis is solely on appreciating asset, and you're not thinking about the the um, fundamental um, uh, benefit that privacy provides to that asset, then I, and then you're making a mistake, and and it's it's not a, it shouldn't be an afterthought. It should be a 
a, a primary objective. I love that comparison. That's the that that is better than anybody has ever put it that I've heard. Anyway, you're making transactions with U.S. dollars. Why the hell would you want the person you're transacting with to know what your entire bank balance is? That's insane. Yeah, we would be furious at that. Like, okay, we know that the government can get a peek in there, but maybe maybe it takes a court order. Maybe you know a letter has to go out, but we wouldn't expect a you know the person we're buying our groceries from, or, or or the you know the church that we're just giving our tithes to, to be able to see what our past transaction history is. It'd be very embarrassing. I mean, it's every once in a while, don't you want to like flex on the kid at the lemonade stand? No, I guess not. <laughs> I, I guess it. I guess that depends, man. What an amazing conversation! So we're pretty much at the end of the show. We're going to wrap. We're going to let Samurai have the floor for the next couple of minutes to for closing comments. Samurai, talk about anything you like. Plug anything you like. Tell us what's going on with the future of Samurai. Like what's amazing and new for the future, and like what are you hopeful for? What are you guys working on? Whatever you like. Well, you know, we we address what we're working on, um, but. Y- I would just um, I would just say to anyone who's listening who maybe were, was having a hard time keeping up with some of the um, the jargon and technical uh, aspects to um, visit our YouTube uh, page, which is search for Samurai Wallet on YouTube and check out that that series, uh, the seven videos. Um, you, you you will get a a good amount of knowledge, and it's it's made and targeted for a beginning audience. Uh, you know, and after that, uh, if you want to check out Samurai Wallet, it's only available on the Android uh, uh, platform. You can get it from FDroid or download an APK or get it from Google Play, however you get your apps. And give us a follow on Twitter at Samurai Wallet. Fantastic. Really appreciate you coming on the show, brother. Yeah, thanks for having me. I kind of feel like I need to apologize. It got a little edgy there for a little bit. <laughs> wasn't no, I mean it's completely it fine. Yeah, uh, it, it's completely fine. I, I think that you know, uh, users who are interested or listeners who are interested will now go and and look up and try to figure out what's going on. And and like I said, we've made all of our research open source, and it's all reproducible. So we we stand by what we've what we've said. And if you have a different interpretation of it, um, you know, feel free to consult uh, the blockchain and and tell us where we went wrong in our analysis. Um, you know, we're not like uh, these closed black box, uh, you know, entities that like chain analysis that don't publish their research and then just make, you know, sweeping statements. We publish everything uh, because we're not researching to de-anonymize anyone. We're, re- we're researching to make more robust tools. Uh, so and that's that's the goal that we've always had and will continue to um, continue to have going forward is how can we make the most robust tools possible for Bitcoin users? Which I think is a super important point. Like we need to have, in my opinion, it's just good for the community. It's good for Bitcoin. It's good for the network. It's good for the future. So thank you for, thank you for what you guys are doing. I personally certainly appreciate it. Anything that makes this thing more robust, um, better, more usable, easier user experience, like that's really what we need to onboard the other 7 billion people on the planet. And that's really what this is all about to me. That is the mission. You know, we have a saying around here that that goes, get on the mission. And that's what that means, man, is uh, the whole purpose of this show is to educate new people about Bitcoin, bring people on board, help them understand what it is, why they want to do it. 
it's a peaceful pathway forward that uh, is my, in my opinion, might be the last chance for humanity to walk a peaceful path for the next who knows how long if we don't get this thing done. Yeah, and get it done right. 100%. No, thanks for having me again. It was a uh, good chat. Absolutely. You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin. We do this every day, Monday through Friday. We start at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern. We roll for about two hours. We talk about all things Bitcoin. It is becoming the place to get your Bitcoin news in the morning. It's also a place where a lot of the sharpest minds in Bitcoin like to come hang out, talk about what's going on. This is also a podcast. It's up on Spotify, Apple, everywhere you get your podcasts. Throw a follow to Swan Bitcoin if you want to be notified when that drops. Bitcoin 2022 is coming up in April in Miami. It's going to be amazing time. Do not miss it. You still have time to get your tickets, get down there, hook up with us, have a great time, network, make new friends. Super fantastic. Thanks for everybody for being here. If you're new, hang out. You want to learn? It's a great place to learn. We cover the whole range of information on Bitcoin. Today's topic was a little technical. That's okay. It's a little, uh, you know, we cover the basics too, the whole thing. Thanks to the co-hosts, Swan Bitcoin, Bitcoin Magazine, my crew, Ant and Shane, my producer, Jacob. Especially thank you to the speakers. You guys are great. Taking your personal time to help educate people about what's going on with Bitcoin. I work with Swan Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danzik, Managing Director with Swan Private. If you want to learn about Swan, shoot me a DM. Happy to help you. Or Bitcoin, happy to help you. Either way. And then finally, get on the mission, people. One thing I love about Bitcoiners, man, is we're all focused. Doesn't matter what side of uh, the political spectrum you come from, like Bitcoin unites us all. It might be the first thing in human history to unite the entire human race, which is freaking amazing if you think about it. Love all you guys. Everybody go out there and have a great day. Crush it. <laughs> <laughs>